I was like, that money's going to go away. And in a way, that was the greatest gift to me because I had to figure out how to do it without any financial support. Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan. And mamas, today on the show, we're talking to Emma Johnson, founder of Wealthy Single Mommy and author of The Kick-A Single Mom. Which reminds me, mamas, before we get started, I want to warn you that this episode has some adult language. So if you're listening with kids around, you may want to pop your headphones in. Or if you prefer not to hear strong language, just press pause and check out another one of our episodes. As a single mom, the narrative out there can make it seem impossible to build wealth and security or to ever have time for yourself which is why I wanted to bring Emma on the show today. She is truly empowering single moms to break that narrative. She takes a strong stand for women earning their own money, for co-parenting, and more. We're going to talk about her story and her three key pieces of advice for being a thriving single mom. As always, stick around until the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from this episode. Or you can head over to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Emma for our complete show notes and to download your free copy of our over 200 at-home business ideas. Are you ready, mamas? Let's get started. Hey, Emma, how's it going? Oh, great. Thanks so much for having me, Chelsea. Happy New Year. Thank you. I'm so glad that you made the time. I first actually heard your story when you were a keynote speaker at FinCon in 2018. Okay, that was fun. It was so fun. And I love how you reject the standard narrative about this like struggling single mom and how it needs to be this hand-to-mouth existence. So I want to know, what are you working to declare to single moms with Wealthy Single Mommy? Well, now it's 2020, and it really comes down to looking at the facts, right? What is accessible to women today? And this is not to sugarcoat anybody's experiences. This is hopefully a lot of self-awareness about my own privilege as an educated white woman, but also taking into context our time and place in history. I mean, women did not even have the right to vote until, what was it, 1920? A hundred years is nothing in the history of mankind, nothing. It was uh, 1920. We couldn't even have a credit card in our own names until 1974. Today, women are the majority of undergraduate students. We have access to all the financial vehicles. Yes, there are roadblocks in the way, but it's like, let's take a moment here and celebrate what we have, right? Let's take this, right? And once we start focusing on what we do have access to, we start to recognize our own power, And all of those negative stereotypes, all of those excuses, and many times they all fall away and you start to recognize what you're capable of. And that's what I hope women can get a glimpse of. That's awesome. And we have come such a long way. Even when you talk about married couples, right? 40% of those households have female breadwinners. And well, let's, I'm going to pause you right there. 40% of households have a female breadwinner and the majority of those are going to be single parent households. Absolutely. Okay. That makes sense. Right. And I think the number of married couples, it's closer to like 20% are female breadwinners, but you know, a generation ago, those numbers were very different. So I find that fascinating. I mean, I'm almost, because I've been doing the single mom thing for so long, I'm very fascinated by married couples. I mean, these are all informing each other. Our experiences as unpartnered parents has been informed by partnered parents. We are informing partnered parents, right? Yeah. Because P.S., a lot of those (laughs) married, heterosexual, perfect families are fucking miserable. (laughs) And they're looking at my family and they're like, 
okay, can I do it? Like, what's it going to be like? And I'm like, have a good time. I'm making money. My kids are like not in jail. And they're like, all right, like maybe I can get out of this shit show over here and it's going to be okay. So we're like, we're all living in the same microcosm and we're all watching each other and touching each other's experiences in some way. None of us are working in isolation. We are all part of the same culture. Absolutely. And you touched on your own privilege as an educated white woman, but you didn't start off your journey as a single mom with wealth. So can you tell a little bit about how you became a single mom and what inspired you to do things differently? Yeah, I mean, I I did not have wealth and money was a huge struggle. And my critics on Amazon would be the first to point out that my struggle wasn't very long because I came into my single motherhood with class, race, and education privilege. So while I was like a stay-at-home mom for a year or two before I got divorced, I had made money before that. I knew how to make money. I had friends. I had a Rolodex. I had a resume. It might be good for book sales, but it would be very misleading if I was like, I did. I grew up I grew up on food stamps and free lunches at school, but I also come from many generations of educated people. It was a presumption that I would go to college. It was a presumption I would have a career. And those are not to be dismissed. We can't just look at the money in the bank and say, oh, I'm not privileged because I'm broke this month. Yeah. That's not what socioeconomic status is. Like that is not how we move through the world. The doors have been open to me largely in this world. So some of the messages that I like to share because they do seem to resonate with women. It's like, I always stepped into this. I was raised by a broke single mom. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do better. Marry the nice guy. I'm going to have some money in the bank. We bought real estate. Like we did everything you're supposed to do about the life insurance, the whole freaking thing. And it all blew up. And I was like, God damn it. I didn't do it. I was so trying so hard to fuck my mom and I failed. And I, this is like exactly what I was trying not to do. And I just went there immediately. Like how, I don't know how I'm going to make money. I've got two little kids. He made the money. He had the health benefits. I live in New York City. It's super expensive. Like I literally was like, how can my kids and I live in my red old Subaru? Like I went there and women go there. And that is a statistical fact. It's like called the bag lady syndrome. And actually the more affluent women are, the greater their fear of becoming homeless is. Really? Yes. It's a little bit of a dated study. I don't know that it's been updated, but it very much speaks to our discomfort with money. And even when we have it, we are convinced it's going to go away at any moment. And when we don't have it, we're convinced that it's going to stay like that forever. And it's not like that. Especially today, the economy is so fluid. Things can turn either way very quickly. But money is accessible to us more than ever because of technology, really. And because of great social advancements, right? Because we do have access to education and the workforce and ways to make money. So my narrative was like, I was really pissed off at myself that I like didn't do what I thought to do, which was to have a perfect family. And I was like, all right, but I'm going to make this work. And I just really like buckled down immediately. So my story is, is anomalous in that it wasn't of a garden variety of divorce. I mean, it was a contentious marriage, but then my ex-husband unfortunately suffered a brain injury, he had an accident, freak accident and had a brain injury and destabilized. So I had a very good sense while his company very generously kept him on. He was a high earning person. I had a sense he wasn't going to be able to keep that really demanding job. Mm -hmm. And for no fault of his own whatsoever, he's very determined and hardworking person. But in a way, I knew knew that that money was going to go away. I did have child support for a year. And I had two babies in full-time childcare in New York City. I mean, it was like a wash, right? But 
I was like, that money's going to go away. And in a way, that was the greatest gift to me because I had to figure out how to do it without any financial support. Yeah. And you mentioned that like wanting the perfect family was a little bit not doing what your mom did, right? So when you got divorced and now you were like, okay, I'm going to go out and make a lot of money and I'm going to find joy in this new life. Did you get any pushback from your mom of like how you were doing things differently than she did? Yeah. I mean, I think it's still a struggle with her and I now because it was a different generation and I will definitely grant that. It was a one generation. It was a big difference. A lot has changed in terms of uh, gender equality in that one single generation, but she has a couple degrees. She comes from an educated family. She's a white chick like me and I really soared professionally and she's always struggled and she just couldn't get it. Like it's so ingrained in her by choice, by culture, doesn't really matter. And I remember I was like going through it and I was legitimately very scared. Like I did not know how the the numbers were going to work there for a couple of years. And she's like, well, you just need to go and get on, on food stamps. Like that's just what you're going to do. You're going to take a shower in the morning and you're going to have breakfast and you're going to go get food stamps because that's just what single moms do. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and the reality was, is like, I was already making some money. I had like good child support coming in. I mean, this was like a different, and I probably would have qualified even if I wanted to. She just could not understand, but if she was taking, she took it as a personal affront because mm-hmm. I was rejecting her way and I was going to be better. And I think that even though the generation has changed, there's still a lot of single moms who feel that, right? That like, that's just what you have to do as a single mom. So what advice do you have for them that are, are feeling like, their family structure is wrong or they're ashamed of where they are right now? Like, how can they start to change their mindset? Well, there's a couple of things. I mean, one is like rejecting the family structure is wrong. That's a whole thing, which is statistically dated. It's That's a wrong assumption. 51% of families in the United States with kids at home don't look like the Leave It to Be Your family. Mm-hmm. They are the statistical minority. So of that 51%, let's call them modern families, uh, the majority of those are single-parent households. And then we have gay families. We have uh, multi-generation families, grandparents raising kids, foster and adoptive families, like any number of the variety of things that thinking people now accept as okay, right? And P.S., I just read in an article just recently. I was on Pew, and they broke. it was very interesting that they even asked the question, this study about family structure. And I think it was, it was looking at children outside of marriage because now young people aren't getting married anymore. The younger generation have, have really decoupled having children with marriage. They are two both desirable things, but they don't have anything to do with each other in the mind of younger people. But anyways, Pew broke these numbers down and they asked a question. So people having children outside of marriage is about the same for people who identify as Christians and those who don't. Just leaving it there. Moving on. So, <laughs> Boom. <laughs> But uh, while my uh, duct tape mic is not dropping, because you know, it's securely, it's fastened on here beautifully, beautifully too. So, so I'm a journalist at heart. Like that's always been what I do. It's like look at the numbers. The numbers don't lie, right? And here's the thing: I live on a coast. I live in New York City. All my friends are in New York. Like this is normal. Like it's easy to be a freak here. But most Americans don't live on the coast. Most Americans live in Middle America, or in, that's not even necessarily relevant. But in communities where living outside of that two-parent married heterosexual household is not acceptable, where there are going to be very different social pressures, regardless of what those Pew statistics, Gallup poll, census data might tell us. And those are real. So 
you know, you're going through a breakup, you're going through a divorce, and it is the most vulnerable, horrible time of your life for so many reasons. And there's the end of a romantic partnership. Even if you hated him for a long time, there's still grief there. There's a financial struggle. The kids are in turmoil. You have to figure out a new household. There's maybe relocate to a different town. There's so many changes and you're going to turn to the people that you love and trust. And you really love these people and they love you. And there's goodness there, but that doesn't necessarily mean that long-term these people are your support system Mm -hmm. because they've got their own agenda and has nothing to do with you. They have their own feelings about family. They have their own issues about marriage that they're bringing into it. And if you're going to thrive, no matter what, like maybe you end up getting happily remarried again, or maybe you, there's any number of variables that could be in your future. You don't know, but you're not going to know what is going to be right for you. If you are around people who are not supporting you in the way that you need. And that's a very tricky situation when, again, you're in such a vulnerable spot and you're reaching out to, you need that support so much more than ever. But when it comes to, I mean, that's the beauty of technology. So for example, I mean, not to promote my junk, but I do have this closed Facebook group I'll be honest with you. I started looking at it as a social service because I don't, it's expensive to run. I pay administrators to run it, to keep it very high quality. And I don't have a necessary ROI on that for my business, but I know that it really helps women because you can find this group from all over the world. And it really changes women's lives because they find women who are like rejecting this idea that you have to be a stay at home mom, that every, that you don't have to sacrifice and suffer to be a good mother. And by the way, I have so much research to support that. The best thing you can be doing for your children is working and earning and thriving, not only the financial security, but them seeing you work, lots of research to support the value of that, but you're going to be happier. If you're stressed out about money, you're not the best mom you can be. If you're in a low wage job that you know you're overqualified for, that is no end game you're not the best mom you can be. You're not the best citizen you can be. You're not the best intellectual you can be. Not the best creative person you can be. The best thing you can do is go and thrive. So find your people. Maybe they're in a Facebook group. Maybe they're in your professional organization where you travel to a conference once a year and connect with them elsewhere. And that's just, we're just talking about the professional part of it. What if you want to go and date and have a really fun sex life for a while, but you live in a conservative community? There's so much shame involved in that. So then again, come over to my Facebook group because we love talking about dicks and sex and stuff. It's really great. And there's no shame attached to it at all. So what's the name of your group, Emma? Bad self promoter, millionaire single mom. Millionaire single moms on. So is there income or net worth requirements? No, not at all. Everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome. And there's all kinds of levels of people. I mean, we have very young women who are just figuring it out. We have very successful entrepreneurs, executive level, C-suite people. And it's very inspiring to share with each other what we can do. It's like moms without any support from the dad that are just killing it. And just by doing it and sharing it changes the world because that changes other women's mindsets. And that changes how they are running their lives, how their families are then that changes their community because guess what? There is a mom in your neighborhood is watching you. Absolutely. Another single mom. There is a married mom. There's a single woman thinking about being a mom. There's another mom that is watching you and you're role modeling for her. Like I am calling on you as a mom, whoever you are, like be the best. You are a role model. This is a societal call, right? We're none of us are living in little silos. We are all part of the same network. You mentioned dads there, though, really quick about dads that aren't involved or are involved. And I'm curious, we we touched on relationships, too. How is your decision making in the life you've built impacted your relationship with your ex-husband? 
Oh, well, you would have to ask him about that. But he's remarried recently. Very nice, cool woman. I have no idea what he thinks about it. I mean, that's not for me to guess. But I can tell you from my experience that we're just, I mean, the research, the research is to support this and just anecdotally dealing with tens, hundreds of thousands of women over these years. If you're making your own money and you are not going to family court, bitching at him by text, not paying his $200 that week or whatever, you have so much less to fight about. You're not screaming at him in your mind when you're bro- like, if you are, get, can get into the position and the position is not necessarily making a lot of money. The position might be that you, within yourself, you let that money go. Mm-hmm. You release him from your psyche. Yeah. Why are we encouraging women to fight with these men whom they are no longer romantically entangled with for very small sums of money? And that's, unfortunately, you hear about groups of single moms talking or, or when you're in those communities, you see a lot of demonizing and anger at exes, which I know is something you do not allow in your community. And you have this strong commitment to co-parenting. Can you talk a little bit more about how you encourage people in your community to release some of that anger? Where are you spending your energy? Like, we okay, like we can buy into like the Tony Robbins, like giant within like infinite energy, but let's get real. Like we're tired moms. We don't have that much energy. So how are you going to use the energy that you have? And are you going to spend it fighting with him over this money? And I know, like, I know all the intellectual arguments. It's not for you. It's for the kids. He owes it. You're going to make him be a man and take care of his whatever. The average amount of child support that's owed by the court is $400 per month. And only 40% of that is paid. Oh my! That is not life-changing money. And if it is life-changing money, we're talking about for low-income people. If we're talking about low-income moms, they are having babies with low-income dads who cannot afford that. And so now we have a whole generation of men. If we break this down this disproportionately and widely affects low-income African-American men who are incarcerated for arrears. We have debtor's prison for black men in this country. And it is unacceptable. And the bigger problem is fatherlessness. There is an epidemic in this country, and that is the incarceration is a component of it, but it is all tied to this whole paradigm that we, when families separate, the default position is the baby stay with the mom, kids stay with the mom, dad pays the mom. And this is a very dated, dated, unsubstantiated model. It is rooted in old research from the 50s that had this uh, tender years doctrine and this notion that you know children were better when they stayed in one home and it was more stability with a single primary caregiver. And there's this, there was not the research that not, we know now that does not support that babies bond with their mothers. Babies bond with their caregivers. Babies bond with whoever loves them. Mm-hmm. Babies belong to men and women. So this is about what is best for children. There's the last count I had, it was like 54 peer-reviewed studies, academic, I mean, like just bulletproof research that shows equally shared parenting time is best for kids. But it's really about gender equality because we cannot have gender equality if women are by courts mandated to be the primary caregiver. Yeah, It is common sense. And unfortunately, the problem is complex and multifold, but We tell women that our greatest joy in life and our greatest fulfillment and our greatest duty is motherhood. And at the same time, we tell us that we need to tell women that they need to go out and work and earn. But now we have a majority of women in this country who are the sole caregivers of children because of these cultural norms, not by choice, 
right? Mm-hmm. It's because a court told them that it had to be like that. It's because our culture told them that it had to be like that. But we are the dads. So we come into a community like mine of, you know, single, I mean, it's not like such a unique community. This is a, a widespread mainstream population of unpartnered parents. The counter to this, so you have all these dads who are really grieving and traumatized because the courts have taken their children away from them. They're visitors twice a month with their own children, visitors to their own children at the hands of the courts. Terrible. Then we have moms who are saying, well, I would love 50-50, but the dad won't show up. Okay, but why doesn't he show up? If you pull men, they say that they do want to be equally involved dads, but we have a culture that has told women since birth that they need to be the primary superior parent. And we have told men that they are doofus Homer Simpsons that need to defer to women. When they separate, the courts reinforce that by giving the dad every other weekend and the child support payment that he can't afford. Yeah. Which, how is he supposed to take any ownership and power out of that situation? Right. So I'm calling on women and I'm calling on feminists like myself to change this paradigm because we have the power, right? We have the resources, we have the financial resources, we have the political resources, and we have the intellectual resources to communicate to our fellow sisters to say, like, let it go. You know, it's like half my Facebook feed is filled with moms that are like, you know, talking about how motherhood is the greatest thing and they're going to nurse their kids till they're six years old because like this incredible higher calling to motherhood. And the other half of them are like literally hiding in the pantry and calling for like wine delivery because they're so stressed out by motherhood. You cannot have it both ways. We cannot have it both ways. We have to stop sharing these articles in the New York Times, on the Atlantic, Slate, all these progressive, coastally read publications that talk about how unfair it is that all these professional, successful women go to work and earn, and then they come home and they have to do the dishes and they have to do the cooking. No, we fucking don't. (laughs) Stop doing the dishes, bitches. Just stop it. We have the power to change the paradigm. We do. We have the power to change it. And it is through the separated family movement. And it's also within the, within the married movement. Just because you think that the dishes need to be done all the time or the laundry need, no, outsource it. Just don't do it. Have a little bit of a messy house. Like let go of this June cleaver thing that we keep trying to reinforce and actually start walking the talk, walking the walk, talking the talk. And obviously this is a couple issue and not something that would be as familiar in your community. But what's interesting is in heterosexual married couples, the breadwinning mom tends to take on more household tasks because they feel like they need to do that June Cleaver, live up to whatever gender norms are to either protect their spouse's ego or to facilitate their own views of, of norms. It's, it's such a crazy thing that we've just embedded. It's so in interesting. I'm very familiar with that study that you're talking to. And it's often a very unconscious, right? What I derive from a lot of that, it's this pull because as a human, you know, we, historically, we have always had, well, we've had connection, right? We have not had this idea of this soulmate, monogamous, heterosexual mar- love marriage. That's a brand new idea. It's literally 150 years old, and it's been a fucking disaster. It is such, it is not sustainable. But this idea, but we do need commitment, and we, of what, however we come to understand that as individuals, but we do need community, and we need family, and we need to have all these things. And there's so much change in all that, that it's very hard to navigate. So, yeah, so these women, it's almost like they are out there killing it for all the reasons that's amazing, wonderful thing in the professional world, in the public sphere. But then at home, 
that's a precious thing too. And how do you protect that marriage? How do you protect that family that you want very much, whether that is because it's just so loving and comforting and wonderful for you, or because you feel the social pressure to do so, or a combination of all those things. It's all very, very complicated and nuanced. And again, unconscious. I bet those women who are doing all that stuff at home, it's not like, oh gosh, I really need to go home and like roast this perfect chicken tonight so that my husband feels cared for and I feel like a sexual feminine woman. Like she's not having that conscious thought. She's just replicating maybe what her mother did or what she sees in the media or these like small, quiet messages that she gets all day long about what it means to be a woman. And that ties in. So in your book, you have the kick-ass single mom manifesto, which is so empowering to read even as a married mother but the first element of your list was and I'm, let me actually read this because when yeah, i read because it, i forgot it's been a couple of years since i wrote it <laughs> it says a kick-ass single mom believes mothers do not have to choose between professional and financial success and being engaged and present parent you reject any notion that stay-at-home moms are better moms or that children require a parent home full-time in order to thrive now as i read this as a breadwinning mom i'm like yes 100 percent but that doesn't mean that mom guilt doesn't come up for me and probably almost every mom that reads that, right? So what advice do you have for overcoming some of that guilt that just invades most of our lives, sometimes on a daily basis? Well, let me just ask you, where does that guilt come from? Like when you're working, what do you think you should be doing? What are you feeling bad about? That I'm not home with the kids, that I'm missing milestones, that I could have better work-life balance and cut things out, right? It's all these pressure to spend more hours with them than I do. Okay, that's the key term, more hours. So allow me to cite my favorite study of all time. It was this University of Maryland meta study a few years ago, and the researchers looked at 34 peer-reviewed studies. And the big question they asked, they wanted to crunch all of the data, how much time do kids need to spend with their parents? They made it gender neutral, but let's get real. They were asked, it's two women researchers. They're asking how much time do kids need to spend with their moms? I'll help you understand that. And the answer was, doesn't matter. After age two, you know, babies need to be cuddled and held. And, you know, we like to think breastfeeding, whatever. But after age two, it doesn't matter how many hours we spend with our children. But what does matter is financial stability of the parents. And the deduction there is if you're stressed out about money because you're not working, you're going to be a lesser mom, right? You're, yeah. kids are going, and it's not the material things. It's not that the kids need – after basic needs are met for the kids, they don't need anything. They really don't need anything. They've got like a vegetable once a month and like general safety. They're good. Those vegetable pouches really will <laughs> fill right in just – Right in the landfill. I hate those things. I know. <laughs> we actually use the refillable ones, but it's like the oh. only way we get our kids to to eat broccoli. But <laughs> so that is it. And this and that is not to say that moms don't want to spend time with their kids or they don't enjoy them. But I would like to remind you of all the support that you get when you post on social media about how stressed out you are and make some joke about wine. You're not enjoying your kids then. Mm-hmm. That is all coming from the sense of obligation, the sense. And by the way, we are spending on average, I think it's like 15 hours a week more with our kids than our mothers did. I mean, there is, it's not a coincidence that our prime childbearing years coincide with our prime earning years. When we are young and healthy, we are working, like historically, we have, people have been agrarian and that requires physical labor. So both men and women have always worked laborious agrarian jobs throughout the world, throughout history. And young women are having babies 
pooping them out and going back in the field. And maybe they carry the infants on their backs, but they're not sitting there devoting countless precious work hours to frontal lobe development. There is no historical precedence for that. And now we have a whole couple of generations now of the fruits of that. And we have young people who are absolutely incompetent that cannot take care of themselves. There's uh, mental health ramifications from all this overparenting, and it serves none of us as a culture or as families or, or as individuals. Yeah, I think we have this idea of like, hey, my mom was a stay-at-home mom and my grandmother was a stay-at-home mom and they spent all the time with the kids, except that wasn't the case. The stat that jumped out to me when I started doing the research was that working mothers today spend the same number of hours with their kids that stay-at-home moms did in the 70s. And I was just like, (laughs) oh, wait. (laughs) Well, you could say like I think about my grandmother who's 98 years old. She was a farm wife and she was like, stay-at-home mom. But she was like busted her butt working on the farm running a house, cooking all the meals, taking care of four kids, but not in the way that you and I would think about it because there just there wasn't the time or the money for that, mm-hmm. right? This was physical farm labor. And that has how human, the species has perpetuated itself for millennia. You know, it was the old grandma who was on death's door that was charged with caring for kids. Yeah. And I think like this stepping back, we could get into the whole expectations of parenting probably for another several hours, but it's, it's also the, you know, the permission to leave our kids alone and unattended ever, right? Like just being able the farm life, right. Of like three and four year olds just out playing on their own. We can't do that anymore. We can, but it depends on the state. I mean, you hear stories all the time, right. Of people calling the police because they see a kid unattended. It's such a crazy world we're in, right? Right. And those, yeah, that is a whole nother thing with the free range parenting thing. And I've written and talked about that a lot. I'm actually friends with Lenore Skenazy, who's the founder of that movement. These topics are very tied together. I mean, there's like the stranger danger element. Yes. But if we are constantly, so if the kids are not allowed to go outside, well, that makes the mother more important, right? Because we're the mother hen and we can take, we can take care. We only, we can take care of the children. Mm -hmm. The kids can't be on the street. They can barely be on the school bus. They can't be anyone else's home because that's way too dangerous. They certainly can't be a store alone because that, but they can be with us. We're the most important. <laughs> no, but there's a, there's a price for that, right? There's a, we can actually quantify this. I was actually just talking to a mom, friend of my neighborhood. There's a dumb rule that if you're more than half a mile away from the school, the school, you can't, you don't have access to the school bus, but the kids are now allowed to walk home from school alone until fifth grade. There's no public transportation or no, you know, school transportation and there's no walking allowed. So what does that mean? That means that a parent, a paid babysitter, a paid after school, we have to financially facilitate then all this. It's mandated. It becomes a state mandate that basically moms have to be with their kids all the time. Yeah. It's just very frustrating. Today's podcast is brought to you by Debt.com. One of my favorite things about Debt.com is that they remove the embarrassment around getting out of debt. If you're feeling overwhelmed by monthly payments or balances, but don't know who to turn to, Debt.com can match you with the perfect, trustworthy debt solution provider to help you create a debt freedom plan and build a strong financial foundation. You can learn more by visiting smartmoneymamas.com backslash debt or by calling their free support line at 844-462-8280 to discuss solutions for your unique situation. That number again is 844-462-8280, debt.com, for when life happens. Okay, so we're going to change gears real quick because you have three keys to surviving and thriving as a single mom that I want to make sure everyone in our audience hears. Can you share what those are? 
Uh, well, the first one is something I use, especially early on in my single motherhood. And then it's this little mental formula. It's time plus money plus energy equals abundance. So I see time, money, and energy as resources that are all interacting with each other. So like the most obvious one that I like to talk about a lot is laundry. So how much time does the average mom spend on laundry? It is not just the hours, but it's the time you're thinking about it. It's the time you're trying to remember to put them from the washer to the dryer, the time you're yelling at the kids to put this up in the hamper. It's this constant like swarm of gnats around your head about all this laundry on and on and on. And moms assume that that's just how it is because there's a lot of laundry and that's what moms do. And there's the downing commercial on the television and, and that's just what's up. But if you step back for a second, I bet in your community, you can find a very affordable laundry service. I have my cleaning lady do it. Most laundromats or um, dry cleaners will have a wash and fold service for you. I've heard of just laundry only services where they'll come around and pick it up. Maybe there's a mom in your neighborhood. This is something that's increasingly common uh, that has a little laundry business. Like she has bought some extra washers and dryers in her basement. You can support a local entrepreneur that way. There is an option for you. Hire a teenager, hire an older person. There is no excuse to do all your own laundry and they do it in one fell swoop. It's so much more efficient. And I bet when you do the math, it's going to blow your mind, especially if you're outsourcing this and you're not maintaining your washer and dryer at your house. That's expensive, right? This is like a, a really great efficiency for so many people. So if you apply that and then you think about how, if you're spending a little bit of money, but how much time do you get back? How much energy do you get back? How much headspace do you get back? And what are you going to do with that? Those newfound resources, it's infinite. You can grow your business. You can take a nap. You can go on a date. You can volunteer in your community. You can, there's so you can do anything you want. You can sit and read the New Yorker, like and recharge, like, but you're not thinking about fucking washing your laundry. That's just, don't do it. So if you start to think about your life in terms of those things, and again, an option is doing nothing, watching your show, whatever, but being thoughtful about the resource that you have against time, money, and energy. These are both all infinite, well, except, right? They are infinite resources, but be thoughtful about them. I mean, there's some people that are going to listen to this and be like, there's no way I could outsource my laundry, right? Of I course. do 17 loads of laundry a week and I'm not going to be able to do it. Do you recommend they talk, like actually think through how many hours they're spending doing laundry and what else they could be doing? Yeah, just think about it. Just track it for even one week. Also, like get over the idea that your all your household sheets need to be washed every week because they don't. Especially if you're a single mom, the kids are gone half, you know, hopefully half or some of the time, right? Maybe you got a boyfriend, you're over at his house some of the time. The kids don't care. Wash them once a month. Like you don't have to like, I, and all, I mean, I am very interested in, like environmental impact on things. Like why are we spending all this money washing things after wearing a pair of jeans once or a blouse twice? Wear the hell out of that stuff until it stinks. I get it. If you've got little babies, they're messy and like you, they wear three things a day. I get that. But my kids know, like if I see their like inside out khakis or school uniforms in the wash after one or two, I'm like, they get in trouble. Like there's none of that. Hang that bad back up. Hang it back up. And same with my stuff. I, I'm not, you know, underwear and socks, yes, but everything else could be worn multiple times barring any disasters. So 17 loans a week, I don't want to even hear about it. You need to reconsider that. And they're like, oh, I'm broke. I can't do it. But it's like if you constantly are telling yourself you're broke and you're only looking at the immediate dollars this week, which is very hard not to do when you are living paycheck to paycheck. You are really counting those pennies. But the goal needs to be that this time in six months, put it on your calendar, that you need to be thinking bigger. 
You need to be thinking about make, finding some efficiencies in your life because you cannot get out of that stuck, broke, paycheck to paycheck thing if you're spending your time just counting pennies and doing these menial tasks. And that's for all education levels. I mean, that is that is really, you, we, we have to move on from that as hard as it might be. And that ties into something I read from you before, which is that you believe the fear of poverty keeps a lot of moms poor. Can you explain what you mean by that? Well, right. So it's it's that poverty mindset, which a lot has been written about, but it's, you know, it's about thinking small. And if we look at the stock market, even if you don't feel like you understand the stock market, it's like the basic tenet of, of investing is more risk, more reward. And it's scary, right? It's like if you dump all of your your investments into a high-risk fund, then you're going to watch it go way up and way down. But if you hold on to that and keep plugging away week after week, year after year, your returns on that stock market investment are going to be so much higher than the person that just parked their money in a very, very safe uh, savings account at the bank getting like 1% or 2%. Your returns are going to be astronomically larger. So if we apply that to parenting, to a career, especially single parenting, I mean, I urge single moms to take even more risks because we don't have backup plan. We don't have a spouse. Most of us don't have family money or like any kind of financial pot that we can pull into. So our only option is to take risks. Because if you only stay stuck, like maybe you're coming out of a marriage or a relationship and you just are working a retail job and that you're getting by it and that's great. Do that. Do what you have to do now, but you're going to have to take a risk. You're going to have to go for a job that you don't feel qualified for. You're going to have to take out some student debt to get a certification to get that next big thing. Hopefully it's a smart investment, not just throwing your money at a degree for the sake of a degree. But you have to take that risk to get the next thing because otherwise you're never going to get there. No one's going to hand it to you. There's no guarantees. You have to take that risk. And the student loans are a good example of taking a step back to go forward. One of the examples in your book was this woman, Shanna, I think her name was, that had a long commute and a terrible boss. And she got offered a job closer to home, but it was less money. So she was afraid to take it. But you need, sometimes you need that space, right? You calculated for her like all the hours she would save commuting and the mental energy of just worrying about her boss and her job that now she could get back into her life and what she could do with that time. Right. And it's just positive. I mean, I, I, we cannot underestimate the power of negativity. Like, yeah, you're at a crappy job that boss is wearing you down. You're worrying about him day and night that he's going to, you know, penalize you or fire you. Then you complain to all your friends about him all the time. And then you're sending your kids a negative message about work and professional relationships. And it just snowballs. So how is that? And it's stressing you out and then you're not exercising. You know, it just, it just trickles into all of your life and we can apply that to your relationship with your ex or your mom. Like it goes on and on. So in the professional financial situations, like what if we flip that script? Right? Like you made to, yeah, like you said, that great example, take the lower paying but joyful job. And all of a sudden you can see the opportunities. All of a sudden you're excited about work. All of a sudden you, you know, chatting with your friends about all the cool things you can do and your kids are getting this positive message about what they can do and and it just changes everything. Absolutely. So then your second key was to create a lifestyle you can afford now, not the lifestyle you could afford in the past or one you might be able to afford in two years. How do we do that, especially if you're starting from that place where you're you don't have a lot of money or you're working multiple jobs? What does that look like? Oh, so I hear especially the rich white moms if you're married, you're probably affluent because statistically that is what's up 
But anyways, people that enjoyed a two-income household or maybe their partner or husband was high-earning and they lived in a nice house and nice neighborhood and, and now everything's different. It is especially when there was maybe if he left or he cheated or he had a substance abuse problem, all of a sudden that only underscores a sense of entitlement. This idea that the mom, that her life should continue on as it was in terms of quality of life without any change. And that's just not an adult way of thinking. Adults just deal with the facts and figure it out. It also calls to me the language of, you know, alimony that was started in the 50s and 60s when women could not work and earn. We did not have access to financial tools or jobs. And the alimony was created to keep women in the lifestyle to which they were accustomed. Like we were like prized like ponies that need to be cared for and pretty. And that's just not life. That is not life. Adult women deal with the facts. What's the numbers? The numbers probably suck after divorce. You have the same income, but two households now, right? And the kids mm-hmm. are only getting older and more expensive and maybe need more childcare because everything changed and the investments, everyone's spending money on lawyers. It fucking sucks. And it's so scary that it's not going to help things by demanding that your like, entitlements. First thing you have to do is find housing that you can afford. And it's hard. And I think especially as women, we are very attached to our homes often, And those homes are often unaffordable to us now. And you have got to just live within your means. And that might be something very modest, but so many women I connect with, they find it so empowering. And they're like, yep, I don't care. You know what? My ex moved in with his mistress and they got this crazy big Tudor five bedroom house on the nice part of town. But I moved with my kids into, you know, a two bedroom rental and it's very modest, but guess what? I can afford it. And it's so empowering. And I figured out that I don't have to clean so much. And it's easier to keep clean. And and we've got these great neighbors. And all of a sudden, all these joyful, empowering, powerful things are opening up to them they couldn't have imagined. And it's because they are living in in reality, Mm -hmm. right? And then the other side of it is like, and it could be all kinds of things, maybe, you know, running up credit card bills to maintain the big house, or even like living a modest lifestyle, but like, well, you know, we had an opportunity to go to Disney and I can't afford it. So I put it on a credit card and I'll pay it off later when I get the promotion. Both of those situations are not living in reality and they are telling yourself that you are entitled to things that you're just frankly not. You're entitled to what you can afford. Mm -hmm. It's not a commentary on your value as a person. It's just a reflection of the numbers in your bank account. Absolutely. Which brings us to your third tenant, which is focusing on earning and growing your income. Where do we start? Well, the counter to that is it's very easy to get into this. A, a symptom of poverty mindset is just focusing on cutting costs. And that's great. I'm like, I'm all about living frugally and budgeting and being very mindful of what you spend and consume. We, we need to stop shopping collectively as society, but you can only cut so far. And if you're spending all your time clipping coupons or my favorite or my least favorite, I should say, is buying things because they're on sale, Right. You just get stuck. But if you focus on earning more, right, figuring out how to get that promotion or a raise or getting a new job, and that's a little secret, is that the big income increases come from moving jobs, not from raises. That's not me making that up. That's just a like Harvard Business Review standard fact. And then starting your own business, side gigs, you know, there's so many ways, things like, again, technology and just thinking differently about our time and our money that you can just find ways to turn your time into money. 
but it's, uh, you're not going to get out of where you are now unless you start keeping your eye on that bigger prize. Absolutely. I have two things on that. The one is being breaking that poverty mindset. I had a colleague that I was close friends with when I worked at a hedge fund. So she was senior to me and she probably made seven figures a year, mm-hmm. but she still calculated toilet paper math. Like Ooh. she's like, I had to get the cheapest toilet paper. And I was like, this makes no sense. <laughs> You are wasting so much time and energy on this thing. But she would do math or she would just like eyeball it at Costco because I wouldn't hold that against her. Oh, no. She's like, she had a spreadsheet of like, <laughs> there was a thing. There was, it was involved. So there's that. It's, it's hard to, even when you then have money, it's hard to break that mindset of like, I just need to cut everything all the time. Well, it's a fine line, you know, it's between like still being mindful and not slipping into just being a, you know, too spend lose, spend free and enjoying your money a little bit. And, you know, it, it is a fine line. You do have to let go of some of that, but you also, you know, it's like I've experienced all kinds of income levels over the last 10 years. And there is, I mean, there's like this great study. And I think the last time I heard the number, it was like after $85,000 a year, your, your happiness does not go up. And I think in New York, you could double that and make those numbers relevant. But I can connect with that idea that it's a point where you don't have to worry. Like your energy is not going to stressing whether or not the rent check is going to clear to like things don't make you happier. They really don't. You know, like the five-star hotel is not really nicer than the four-star that it's not like all that stuff. It does not bring joy into your life. So you know, these are rich white people problems, as I like to say, like it's rich people problems. And it's like, you know, I, I, I like to bargain shop at like Costco. I like had this really tasty cheese dip over the holidays and I went back to the store to get more of it. It was like $7 and 50 cents. I was like, that's crazy. And I didn't go, I didn't buy it. (laughs) (laughs) I totally understand that. Uh, And then the second thing I want to touch on is you mentioned like starting your own business and becoming an entrepreneur and single moms, married moms, people in our community all the time feel like they don't have the skills and they don't even know what would be valuable that you could add. What are some questions we can ask ourselves to find opportunities and to embrace the unique skills we do have? Right. Well, first of all, figure out how much your employer is charging for your skills because somebody's getting rich off of you. So, you know, I think that's a real big paradigm shift in and of itself, but then there might be consulting opportunities within what you're doing now, right? So, which are completely on the up and up, you know, it's not like you're getting trouble with your employer, it would be totally fine. But, you know, maybe you have, your company has a client and you just have, you see an opportunity where you could help somebody and that they can be paying you for it. It's a great place to start when work you're already doing can make you more money. So I'm sure some moms listening are wondering, what does this really look like when a single mom embraces these tenants and kind of gives away some of the anger and embraces earning more and building wealth and and loving their life? Can you share a story or two about the transformation moms in your community have made? Oh my gosh. Well, I get this Christmas card every year from this mom. And I remember, and she joined our community and I was like, I actually interviewed her on, maybe it was a video show that I was doing or something. And she was in it, right? Like, and everyone goes through it. Like you're going through divorce and you're not your best self and you're not saying things you're going to be proud of later. But, and I was there for sure, but she like her, she had a couple little kids, I think three little boys and her husband got another woman pregnant. And 
like she was losing it and she was going to go after him for all this alimony and child support and she's going to make him pay and she's been stay at home mom and he first of all it was like a year or two later on facebook she posted a picture of her and the new girlfriend or wife with their collective four kids and there might have been even more kids at that point and they're like fuck it, we're going to just take over here. And they were like, took the kids out to the water park for the day. Like the women got together and they're just like, we're going to be the adults here and just we're over it and we're going to be a family. And so they just, you know, they just sorted it out. They just figured out how they were all going to coexist. And then I get these beautiful Christmas cards from her every year. And she has gotten into real estate and she is killing it and making all this money and she looks fantastic and so happy and her kids are adorable. She did it, right? Like she yeah. got out of that ugly thing. She got her head together and she just decided she was going to do it. And I'm like, that's it. Like, that's like just women being awesome. Mom's being awesome. She's happy. She's making money. Her kids are getting the benefit of the blended family, right? As much as she can make it for them. And it's, it's awesome. There you go. So finally, before we cut a little snorting hat hot seat, we've covered a lot of great tips today for single moms. And I want to know what's one big piece of advice you have for moms who are feeling scared about getting started or even moms who are in unhappy marriages but are afraid to leave because they think they just can't cut it as a single mom? Well, when I find myself in tough times, I tell myself, people way dumber than me have done this. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I, I really have come to embrace the power of community. And if you are not getting the support you need from probably lovely, wonderful people who love you right now, go find a different community. You don't have to reject your, your people, but come into my Facebook group or go to people who get it and they're positive, right? If that, that's the thing with a single mom community. They can be a toxic group of bitter divorcees. <laughs> But don't go to them, right? Like you'll be her for a minute. You can go hang out with her for those chicks for a minute, but go to people, whatever it is, you know, maybe you figure like you need to be making a certain amount of money to make it work. Go to the people that are making that money, figure out how they did it, be around them. Just being around them makes it real and possible. Or maybe you're recently out of a relationship and you're losing your mind. You just are completely overwhelmed. There have been single moms since the dawn of time that have figured it out of every generation, Go find some of those older moms that figured it out and just go for lunch with them. Go hang out at their house, invite them over for dinner one night. Like just be around them and see that it is possible because it is. I love it. And I love the importance of community and connection. It's such such a good thing for anything we're trying to achieve. And definitely when you're stepping into what can be an unknown situation, it's it's so important. So before we let you go, we have to have you try on our sorting hat. So I am a huge Harry Potter nerd. Uh-oh. So our hat is a sorting hat and we have a hat full of 20 plus questions and we're going to pull out a question and have it reveal something about you. Are you ready? Okay. What is one book that changed your life and how? Oh, I'm going to tell you the book that I gave for Christmas to all my girlfriends a couple of years ago, and it's called Get Rich Lucky Bitch. And it's all about manifesting money. And it's very plain spoken. It's not too woo woo. And it is just, it has all these practical exercises in it. It's like, if you are not making the money that you want and need, it's like how to do it. And it's about forgiving people in your life, like all that negative toxicity that it swims around in your head. I'm so guilty of it. I still work through that all the time. It's about visualizing the things that you want, understanding why you want them, 
it works. I'm all about real practical advice and living in the moment and all this stuff, but this, there is a spiritual and emotional element of all of this. And Denise Duffield Thomas, and that is her jam. That's not my jam. That's her jam. So I out, I outsource that part of my life and that part of my advice to her. So go to Amazon, check it out. Awesome. We'll definitely check it out. Emma, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you and follow up? Well, just start at wealthysinglemommy.com. Wealthysinglemommy.com. We'll have the link in the show notes and also to some of your social media profiles. And thank you so much. I hope we get to talk to you again soon. Thank you. Mamas, what did you think about that episode with Emma? Eye-opening, right? I love her enthusiasm that moms taking time to take care of themselves and build their careers doesn't make them bad moms, and how research suggests that it can actually help your kids. Because the expectations on moms, married or not, have gotten so huge that it's essentially impossible to do all the things that we're quote-unquote supposed to do. Now, before we go to our normal recap, I want to say, maybe you loved every second of what Emma had to say. And maybe at some points you were like, eh, that doesn't jive with me. That's okay. I'll tell you that after recording this episode, my husband and I talked about it in depth. My husband's a stay-at-home dad. Emma's points about staying in the workforce and earning money after having kids, he doesn't do that. And having this episode on the show doesn't mean he's headed back to work, but it was a chance for us to revisit the opportunity cost of our family setup and how we feel about it. And that's what it's all about. One of my favorite things about this podcast is getting to bring you a wide range of perspectives. If I only ever brought you things you agreed with or that you heard before, none of us would grow. We have to look at and respect different perspectives. I'm not a single mom, but I learned so much from this episode. Emma is awesome. Her passion and dedication to helping professional single moms is inspiring. She shared so much great information and I just, I just loved having her on the show. So, As always, I've rounded up my top takeaways for today's episode so that you can walk away feeling focused and empowered. Are you ready? Let's recap. First, let go of the anger. I've never been divorced or had to face a co-parent of my child not stepping up to their duties. I don't know what that feels like. But I did see my mom go through a divorce when I was in early adulthood. Saying it's hard isn't doing it justice. You're mourning a life you thought you would have. You might be upset with a partner for something they've done or for expectations they didn't live up to. And as Emma said, all single moms start in that angry space. But after a little bit, you have to move on. You have to focus on what you can control, find your own financial security and success, and stop funneling all your energy into anger that won't get you anywhere. If you're surrounded by other single moms or a community that wants to keep you in that place, maybe even with the best of intentions, find a more uplifting and supportive community. You deserve to move on with your life. Second, create a lifestyle you can afford today, then focus on earnings. Emma emphasized that trying to live the lifestyle you had before you broke up with your partner or basing your budget on the income you hope to have in six months, in a year, two years, will only leave you feeling frustrated and barely treading water. You don't have the time or energy for that. Get honest with yourself. Look at the money you have today and adjust your budget to fit that. You might have to move into a less perfect neighborhood or cut some expenses for now, but living within your realistic current budget will create less stress in your life today and give you the mental energy to focus on designing your new and better life. Once you've got your lifestyle figured out, then it's time to focus on earnings. 
We can get stuck in a place of cut, 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 cut to make our budgets work. But you don't have to live a life of constantly scraping by. You have the ability and the skills to earn more, much more. And focusing on that side of the equation will give you more freedom over time, especially since you've already learned to live on a tighter budget. And finally, third, you decide what successful parenting looks like for you. Expectations of moms these days are enormous. We're expected to work, be with our kids 24-7, keep an organized home, take time for self-care, and on and on and on. It's nothing short of insane. You can't do it all. You can read all the things you should do as a mom. You can hear the research, listen to your mom and your friends. Then you have to do whatever works for you. What is going to make your kids happy and successful is having a mom that is happy and confident. If that means you take a promotion with a little bit more travel or hire out help or hire a babysitter one night a week to get some girl time or to go on a date, awesome. You're still a rocking mom and your kids are still going to do great. You've got this. Mamas, I want to thank Emma again for joining me on the show and our sponsor, Debt.com, for helping make this episode possible. If you'd like to see the full show notes for this episode with links to Emma's website, Wealthy Single Mommy, or to download your free list of over 200 at-home business ideas so you can start focusing on earnings, visit smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Emma. Keep talking money, mamas. I'll see you next time.